At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool. Hi, I'm Max Kaiser. This is the Kaiser Report. Can you feel it? Halloween is coming. Ghosts, goblins, but mostly ghosts. And speaking of ghosts, let me give you a quote here from Thomas Jefferson. Paper is poverty. It is only the ghost of money and not money itself. Hmm, Stacy. Yes, and this is a good time of the year to talk about this and a good time of the, I guess, the decline of the fiat empire that is the U.S. dollar debt. And we've seen over the past few years, especially in the past year, we've covered that nations like China and Russia are stockpiling gold rapidly. We saw Germany bring back their gold, repatriate their gold from the New York Fed over the past few years. Thanks to Max Kaiser, by the way. Just Google that to find out how we uh, instigated that. Uh, we see the likes of Netherlands and other nations also retrieving and repatriating their gold from overseas holdings. So there is a sense that uh, nation states, that central banks are starting to be spooked about the value of their fiat holdings. And in fact, I'm going to turn to a tweet suggesting this, that there may be a regime change on the horizon. Regime change? Gold reserves have been spiking since May, while U.S. Treasury holdings keep tumbling worldwide. So as you can see, sometime last year, central banks around the world got spooked by their U.S. dollar holdings and started to pair them back and their gold holdings spiked. So this is the beginning of the spookening. You know what's really scary? A negative interest rates. You know, I'm gonna go out uh, Halloween trick-or-treating this year. Uh, I'm gonna wear a costume of negative interest rates. <laughs> and whenever I go and knock on people's door, they're gonna be scared out of their wits. <laughs> they're gonna be like, ah, negative interest rates. And, um, you know, that's the thing. Central banks, once they see negative interest rates, and, you know, it was a novelty at first and then became mainstream policy. And we've seen trillions now, seven, eight, nine trillion dollars worth of negative rate bonds. And so to respond to this scary, you know, uh, paper is poverty, says Thomas Jefferson. It's only the ghost of money. Think about what his comments would be about negative interest rates, because a negative rate is less than paper. It's worth less than paper. So it would be uh, negative interest rates are beyond poverty, worse than poverty. It's, it's not only the ghost of money, but it's the ghost of a ghost of money. Uh, and then, um, you know, it's just like so freaking scary that these central banks are are hitting the buy button in a huge way. That's why gold has made new all-time highs against currencies all over the world, including the euro and the pound and the yen and the Indian rupee. The dollar is lagging, but that high will be taken out probably in the next six months. 
negative interest rates are also a ghost of time. Maybe in the future, children now going, real children trick-or-treating, I know we're the only, the oldest people out trick-or-treating every uh, October 31st, but you know, it'll only be, they won't have ever seen interest rates. They won't ever have known a time when time had value. There is no value to time, and that is frightening because we as humans measure almost everything by time. Imagine going trick-or-treating and you're given from the person at the door empty wrappers and they tell you come back next year for the candy. Okay, that's a negative interest rate. And they're only gonna give you half the candy. So they're gonna guarantee you less candy next year if you accept the wrapper today. That's what a negative interest rate's all about. You're guaranteed to lose money over time. So there's no such thing as trick or treat anymore. There's no such thing as a treat. No. Where time has no value. It's all trick. It's all trick. It's all we're, trick. We're living in a trick bag. Because who are the tricksters? And those are the, the operators of the derivatives machine. Those who, who whip up this poverty of paper. The, they're the ones that create the poverty. We see it around the world. The results of it, protests erupting in places like Beirut and Chile in the past week. There's always some do-gooder out in the hood that's going to give you an apple. And like, this apple's good for you. And you're like, you throw the apple away. It's just organic, uh, during right? During trick-or-treating, yeah, yes. Throw it away. It's in the woods. You know, give it to a squirrel. You know, don't bother with that. Now, it's not even, that's, that would be considered a vast improvement over empty wrappers that are guaranteed to give you less candy sometime in the future. Part of this complex of treasury holdings of U.S. assets, the paper assets that investors outside of the U.S. are definitely spooked about, uh, they're dumping those holdings. They're buying gold because they're spooked. They want real hard assets, not you know ethereal ones like uh, the, the ghost that is the dollar and other fiat currencies. Part of what we've seen is a real spookening in the repo markets, and that's the overnight cash market. So this should be very liquid, right? But it's not. And that's when interest rates spiked up to 10% uh, a few weeks ago in the overnight market. So the Fed has stepped in to rescue the markets again, to comfort all the spooked people, the spooked investors. And the headlines in the financial press have kind of moved on, but in fact is getting worse in the real world. The, the real crazy stuff happening out there in the dark pool of bad toxic debts out there, Psst, the repo markets are not only not getting better today, the Fed is supplying $205 billion of repo, taking out the quarter end peak of $202 billion set on September 30th. Repo needs more and more Fed medication to stay calm. That was from Friday when the Fed stepped in with $205 billion. You know, the repo market is the real horror film. And you know, in all these horror films, these teen horror films, there's always the teens are always doing the worst thing, right? Like they go into the haunted house and there's a car there that's running and it's pointing to the exit. And they, somebody says, let's get in the car and drive away. And somebody says, no, we have to go into the haunted house, right? They make the worst choices. So they're gonna keep doubling down on this repo market, even though that's the worst possible choice they can make. Now, according to James Grant over there at the Grant's Interest Rate Observer, he observes that 
what's being billed as a insolvency problem or a liquidity problem is actually a debt problem. So they are creating trillions and trillions and trillions of debt, going back to the 2008 global financial crisis. And the interest on the debt has to be serviced with some cash, even if at a 0.0001% coupon. And the repo market is showing us that they can't even pay the interest on the debt with cash. They're running out of cash to even pay the paucity of interest on the debts that they're creating to bail out the banks. It's one big rolling nightmare bailout of banks. So as he points out, this debt should be reduced if you want to cure the problem, get rid of the ghost of money, as Jefferson might say. But instead, like the bad horror film, their solution is create more debt. Yeah, and actually, to continue with this horror film idea, is these repo markets are suggesting that banks don't trust each other because they know they've walked into the haunted house that is our global financial system. And you know, in a horror film, like who's the first one that's gonna like get eaten by the ghost or killed by Freddy or Jason or something like that. It's like, there's always some bimbo who gets knocked off by the, the bad guy first, right? And you don't wanna be that person. So nobody trusts anybody. Nobody trusts who's the actually, maybe the haunted person, who's is this person the ghost? Or are they going to run off with my uh, assets? And so that's my analogy. The continuation of your analogy about the horror film <laughs> is nobody trusts all the players in this haunted house. Well, you know, I'll give another analogy. It would be Bruce Lee, I think it's Enter the Dragon, where he goes into the House of Mirrors. And he ends up smashing all the mirrors, and he's kind of like fighting himself because he sees his own reflection. So here, you know, here you have uh, these banks going into this house of mirrors because all the debt refers to each other debt. Sure. Since we entered the era of modern fiat money that's self-referential and referring other fiat money, and we've dropped the gold standard, we have this very interesting situation where there is no beginning to the cycle. It's just all infinite regress. Each fiat money is standing on the shoulders of another infinite money, uh, I'm sorry, fiat money, until you have this enormous amorphous strip of fraud committed by global banks. And the result now is that they, it's snapping shut and they can't print the money fast, the fake, the ghost money. They can't print it fast enough to stop the repo, the very short term end of the market, from jumping and showing massive red light uh, problems. The, the axe murderer, is it, it's Nicholson, the shining. He's come through the bathroom door with the axe. Here's the repo market. And you know, the central bankers are saying, print, 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 print. And of course, it's the guaranteeing their death. Let's stick with this because one thing I never understand, I really don't like horror films that are around zombies because it's like, just outrun that, right? Like they run, they walk so slow. And you know, there are scientists who have actually deciphered these films of how uh, dumb the notion of a zombie is. But now we're seeing that we actually can't even run, outrun these zombie debts, this ghost money. Like, we, we've been running so fast, printing so fast, as you said, and still, this zombie is still, like, lurking and ready to eat the whole global economy. And, in fact, the IMF is just warning that corporate debt is now at $19 trillion, like, twice where it was in 2008, at the beginning of the financial crisis, and 40% of those companies can't pay the interest on their debt out of current earnings. So w those are zombie companies. 40% of corporations out there are zombie corporations at the moment. So it's like the zombies are taking over more and more, and it's slow motion 
and we can't outrun it. Right. Well, this all started in Japan, right? The notion of the zombie bank started in Japan, where banks uh, were unable to service their own debts, and they, they were on a permanent tether to the central bank to pay off their debts. And that zombie bank migrated to other countries around the world. Now we have a global central bank, zombie central bank system, mm -hmm. and we have zombie corporations, and we have a zombie economy, and we have executives and corporations buying back their own stock as fast as they can because they know that these companies are are technically insolvent. Uh, that's why we're seeing so many bankruptcies, so many, so many uh, economic uh, corporate uh, like the WeWork uh, never made it to an IPO because it was a functionally a zombie ghost company. Continuing on this theme of paper is poverty, it is only the ghost of money and not money itself. I want to continue with that theme of what Paul Krugman says is that debt is money we owe to ourselves. And of course, we owe it to ourselves, i.e. the next generation. And in this sort of trick-or-treat moment, why we're being haunted by this debt, it is the millennials and the Generation Z, who are the youngest coming on right now into the workforce, they're haunted by the the basically the lives that boomers had, i.e. the first into this global debt pyramid. They're, um, in order to sustain all their... Um, you know, high levels of debt, they have to accumulate massive amounts of student debt, credit card debt, uh, auto loan debt is huge now, uh, healthcare debt, all these medical debts. Like the, this, is a, this is the younger generation being haunted by the, the lives that became, came before them. And who are the predators on the sidelines ready to vulture the poor students in debt? Oh. It's the military recruiting complex. They'll be like, oh, you've got debt? We've got a job for you. Go kill those people. And uh, as has been pointed out many times now, the people who are going into these wars to pay down their debt don't even know why who the enemy is. It's yeah. become totally generic. We'll talk about that in the next episode. I have a headline about that. But um, right now, I want to finish up on saying in terms of this debt that is haunting the new generation and tie it up, finally wrap this up with your analogy of the haunted house that all these kids, these teenagers walk into, is that is what we're seeing on the political sphere domestically here, is that nobody knows they're all doing the dumb thing. They're not leaving the haunted house. They have a choice to go into the haunted house and just leave, but they always go into it. And nobody knows how to not go into this haunted house. Nobody knows a way out of this horror film. Maybe the only solution is to make Woody Harrelson president of the United States. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, much more coming your way. Welcome back to the Kaiser Report. I'm Max Kaiser. Time now to go to London, speak with Ross Ashcroft. And um, he's at renegadeinc.com. He's also the director of everyone, if you remember, The Four Horsemen, a film that came out a few years back. I see on YouTube it's got eight and a half million views. Ross, that was a smash hit. Welcome back to the Kaiser Report. Thank you very much, Max. It's because you're in it. It was Oscar winning that performance. Everyone talks about it. It's you. You stole it. Of course. Now, let me get into some serious questions here about the serious fraud office in the oh, UK. Yeah. They've ended their inquiry. They've ended their inquiry into the LIBOR rigging scandal. The evidence in the case was pretty straightforward it seemed, and substantial, uh, and it led directly, the evidence led directly to Mark Carney in the Bank of England. What happened? I think that what you begin to realize in the UK and the UK banking system at the moment is when you start to pull at one of the roots uh, of what's really going on, it runs so deep into the rest of the system 
that you begin as a regulator or as a legal system to understand the ramifications of those routes. And what would I say? I'd say that if one person begins to manipulate LIBOR, the rest of the market basically has to do the same thing. Uh, so I think the corruption within uh, uh, that system that, uh, and, the, and the people who were working with it was um, phenomenal. Uh, I think it was uh, in, incredibly difficult now. I think it is incredibly difficult now for uh, the uh, justice system and the regulators to address the size and the scope of it. And quite interestingly, because they came out and always have these statements that the Serious Fraud Office make, uh, and what, this one is that following a thorough investigation and a detailed review uh, of the available evidence, there will be no further charges brought in this case. The decision was taken in line with the test in the code for Crown prosecutors. Now, in that code, um, they've got to think about a couple of things. One, realistic uh, conviction. But two, is this in the public interest? Well, if the public have been overpaying for their financial products for however many years, my suggestion is that this is very much in the public interest. I think they've come to a different conclusion. It also aided and abetted financial fraud, wide scale. What's now being looked at in America with J.P. Morgan and their manipulation of the precious metals is being prosecuted under RICO, the anti-racketeering law. In the U.K., the same thing was going on with the Bank of England part of the racket. Remember in 2008, when the financial crisis hit, the banks were claiming that we just need liquidity. It's not an insolvency because we've got plenty of assets on the books, including all this property. Of course, the only way we can save the property is if you, the Bank of England, manipulate interest rates down. That is to say, move money from the savers who have their money at the banks paying an interest. Yep. Move that money or steal that money, Mark Carney, and put it into the pockets of the bankers who can then be prevented from having to write down the fact that they've got huge losses in the property market. And it's a massive racketeering fraud that Mark Carney is guilty of racketeering, just like Jamie Dimon is also guilty of racketeering, as I see it. Uh, and I've been right for 10 years in a row. I haven't been wrong yet. Uh, let's move on to the uh, Financial Times. Uh, they write, quote, botched outsourcing has cost the UK taxpayer $14 billion. Now, of course, botched is a euphemism used in the UK to, by the stiff upper lip crowd and the BBC to avoid having to use a word like fraudulent, even though it is fraudulent by any standard of free speech. But of course, this sort of plunder is not new in the UK. As you're pointing out, there's a lot of it. What about that yellow vest style movement against it in the UK, Ross? When are we going to see that? We might have an unlikely cheerleader because Meghan Markle recently is struggling apparently with the uh, stiff British upper lip. Uh, so uh, maybe she's uh, called the mood. But what you're seeing in the UK is uh, people can take it for so long. There is a stoicism around the British people. Uh, but once they uh, get an understanding uh, of what's been really going on, and you use the word botched and other people have used the word botched let's use the proper terminology this is the business model it's corporates sitting with governments and lining each other's pockets governments are awarding contracts and then suddenly people are incompetent and we know that people are incompetent in corporates and we know people are incompetent certainly incompetent in governments but basically you don't get away from the fact that these this is the business model and when taxpayers realize that this is the business model when they realize that they've been ripped off by the financial system again when they realize that they've been out doing a shift 
and the bankers and the parasitical elements of the economy haven't. That's when you'll start to see the ferment and, and the anger and, and, and people asking more fundam absolutely fundamental questions. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're out in the street um, before too long because they have been pushed so, so hard. The British are a tolerant uh, and reasonable bunch. But once you push that, uh, uh, once you push them too far, uh, then uh, the ramifications can be huge. The last time I saw any real pushback was the poll tax. You know, under the Thatcher era, this is often referred to as a moment when Brits finally said, we've had enough, and they revolted in a huge way. Um, but they tend to be, as you say, complacent. And But, you know, you mentioned Meghan Markle, though, as kind of an aside, but apparently Prince Harry is uh, at odds with his brother, William, and maybe we're going to see a, a Westminster exit, a Westminster zit, uh, you know, and that is symptomatic of a real uh, problem in cohesion over there in the UK. Uh, but unlike Chile, Beirut, Haiti, Spain, and what we call the global insurrection against banker occupation, the, the British people are still kind of sitting on their hands, I guess, just hoping this whole thing just goes away and things resume back to... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that... Excuse the pun, I don't think the penny's quite dropped. Uh, and I think that in 2008, people saw uh, what really had gone on in the banking system. And then what we had was a load of QE. And QE was there to buy time. We were going to buy time so we could uh, fix the structural problems in the economy. Guess what? We bought time, we didn't fix anything. We didn't fix any of the structural problems. The British people are starting to wake up to that now. They're starting to realize that uh, 2008, in a sense, was a dress rehearsal, and this is coming again. There's way too much debt. The people are pushed. Wages are still stagnant. Uh, and, and, they're, they're, and they're starting to realize that the policymakers, the bankers, uh, and the politicians haven't done a thing. And that's when you start to see people really asking fundamental questions, getting out on the street and asking for uh, direct action. And, and, and to the point, you know, the Meghan Markle point, um, uh, you know, the establishment is under an enormous amount of strain at the moment, all over the world, but specifically in Britain. Uh, and uh, the reason? They've lied for too long and thought that they could get away with it. Uh, and they could. For a long time, they could get away with it. And they could take the rents and they could, you know, manipulate uh, 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 rates uh, and all the missell and all the rest of it. But ultimately, what we're about to see in Britain is what uh, Robert Louis Stevenson called uh, the banquet of consequences. And because those things haven't been fixed structurally, you're about to see uh, people understand that actually my economic future has been stolen. And at that point, at that point, uh, who knows what's going to happen? Because otherwise tolerant British people won't be. Right. I would have thought that when it was shown uh, through Ian Fraser's book about Royal Bank of Scotland and subsequent reports that the Royal Bank of Scotland, RBS, had looted 30,000 British corporations, their own customers, Yes. that that would have led to some soul searching about the four big banks in the UK and their, their commitment of what I call financial terrorism, people are now calling it financial vandalism, but it, let's call it financial vandalism because that's the, the current 
uh, phrase used, uh, people are now, you know, we've been following this space for a long time, Ross, and we, we, we're now at a point where people are no longer trying to justify this under some arcane uh, policy or economic model. They are now realizing, and it's used in the popular press, this is vandalism, Ross. The temerity for me is absolutely huge because back in the day, you know, people used to say, well, we've got to try and cover this up. And we've made, as you know, lots of programs at Renegade Inc. on RBS and other banks. Um, and it's very simple. It, this is their business model. There wasn't any liquidity left in the system. So what did they do? They turned on their own people. It's a very much an empire state of mind. The rent seekers turned on their own people. And what they did is they systematically looted businesses, whether it was a nursing home, a hotel, a golf course, a property portfolio, you name it. Everything was up for grabs. And then those, uh, those assets were sold at bargain basement prices to vulture funds around the world. Uh, and, and it was that flagrant and that obvious. Um, now, the question is, uh, how do they get away with that? How possibly do you get away with that in the C-suite uh, of, of a bank? Or is something else at play? Has somebody else got your back? Is the establishment saying, actually, we're out of money. We, we know you're taxpayer-owned now, RBS, so we need to get this money back through. So anything's fair game. Uh, and I'd like people to think about that and certainly think about it if you go, before going to bank with any of those organisations. Because it isn't just that your home is at risk if you don't keep up repayments. Your home is at risk even if it's paid for. And that now is the business model. When that penny drops, I think you're going to see in the UK the kind of protest that you haven't seen, you can forget, I th that will make the poll tax riots look like a walk in the park. You mentioned the business model of looting, and it's primarily in the Conservative Party, going back to Thatcher's day, and this is what's happened for financialization. Isn't this the primary motive of those seeking Brexit, is to enable more looting? Ross. Deregulation and to become and the UK to become Singapore on Thames, which is a ludicrous idea, uh, is absolutely top of the agenda. And if you're going to say to me, which is the one organization that is at the top of that agenda, it's the NHS. Uh, because American and other uh, healthcare insurance companies and healthcare companies globally have got their eye on it because they know how profitable that can be. Right. Yes, is the answer. Right. Very good. Well, thanks, Ross, for being on the Kaiser Report. Pleasure. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kaiser Report with me, Max Kaiser, and Stacey Herbert. I'd like to thank our guest, Ross Ashcroft of RenegadeInc.com. If you want to catch us on Twitter, it's Kaiser Report. Until next time, bye, y'all. At American University, we don't just hope for change. We create it. We don't just dream of a better world. We make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool.